I'm reading the, uh, the first reading this evening from Ephesians chapter 5. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave, us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person such as a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what, pleasures, what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Our second reading is from Matthew chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 13 on page 683. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown away and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear... Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, 
Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Rakah, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out, sorry, I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks, Lynn. Just before we, uh, we look at the God's word, I've just been told we've got an engagement. Uh, so Nikki Spies is engaged to Stephen. Do you want to stand up? Let's give him a round of applause. I'm going to give you a verse, as always. Um, it's one of my favourite verse from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, may, inc- may he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. You joined us, we've started a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, what it really means to be blessed, to have found favour with your God. And I hope that you want nothing else in this world but to have found favour with your God. And we looked last week at the Beatitudes and just how uh, counterculturally it really is. The people that God loves, the people that God uh, is pleased with are the people who humble themselves before him the people who are humble towards other people, the people who are peacemakers, who are pure in heart, and just live for God. Uh, tonight we were supposed to do uh, those, uh, what were they, 15 verses that were read. Uh, I actually got stuck on verses 13 to 16 and was so blown away with them that we're just going to unpack just those five verses tonight, 13, 14, 15, four verses, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Because I do believe that they are the kind of verses where if you've grabbed hold of them and you understand them, it will so define you and shape you. And I've just been blown away by them this week. So let me pray and ask that the Lord would uh, similarly just convict you of how beautiful, how precious these verses are. Uh, Lord, thank you that uh, you've given us the gift of the scriptures. Uh, thank you that you teach us Uh, the beauty of living for you. Uh, Lord, help us please just to own these verses tonight. Uh, Would you write them on our hearts? I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. What struck me in these verses is how profound Jesus is and how simple he is. And the message he's got for his disciples and for you tonight is this, that you can make a difference. You can make a difference for Jesus in this world. 
That's really what this means. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus is just saying, if you call yourself a Christian, if you're following Jesus, then you can make a difference in this world. Do you remember this lady? Selina, Countess of Huntington? A wealthy lady who loved Jesus, and she used her wealth to set up Bible colleges, to build chapels, to have dinner parties for the rich and famous so she would tell them the gospel. And by daytime, she went out into the homeless, into the poor and needy, into the orphanages, and she loved people. At the end of her life, she could say, I've made a difference. This man here, Humphrey Monmouth, cloth merchant, wealthy man, used his money to fund the translation of the Bible into English and used his business to smuggle the first Bibles back into the UK. Uh, He loved Jesus, and he lived his life to make a difference. Who's this? Mother Teresa. She loved Jesus. She loved the orphans. She loved the refugees. She loved the blind. She loved the alcoholics. She loved the homeless. And she lived her life making a difference in this world. Do you know who this is? A guy called George Muller. You might not have heard of him. Uh, he helped approximately 10,000 orphans. He set up 117 schools. Uh, in his lifetime, he probably educated 120,000 people. Why did he do that? It wasn't just he was a good man. He was a very good man, but he loved Jesus. And because he loved Jesus... He lived his life to make a difference. And you're probably sitting there thinking, oh yeah, but they're all the the spiritual giants. They're the super Christians. What about this this lady? Alyssa Yule, who sat here in these pews. She loves Jesus, and so she's dedicated her life to serve the lepers in Nepal. So every day she wakes up and she treats those with leprosy or she teaches how to prevent leprosy. Why does she do that? Because she loves Jesus and she wants to make a difference in the world. Oh, this man, we just prayed for him, heard about him, Andrew Browning. As we sit here in the comforts of Sydney, he's working in his small town called Bahadar, day after day, week after week, operating on women with fistula, to give them decency, to give them a quality of life again, to give them hope. Why does he do that? Because he loves Jesus, and he wants to make a difference in the world. And again, you probably say, oh, you know, Paul, they are the super-Christians, they're the missionaries, they're the people who, who have the guts to go overseas. Well, let me tell you about some people in this church who are just quietly getting on with making a difference. I think of a guy who's a lawyer, and on Saturdays he gives his time to legal aid work, especially with the women who have suffered domestic violence. He loves Jesus, he's just making a difference. I think of the couple who basically uh, support the running of an orphanage. I think of the woman who spends her weekends visiting the uh, asylum seekers and the refugee centers. I think of the people who give up their Sundays to come and cook community lunch and serve community lunch and just wash up 
not seeking the praise, just sitting at the sink, washing the dishes. I think of the people who go and visit in James Milson. No sort of praise, no applause, just week after week, just sitting with the elderly, loving them, caring for them. They're making a difference. I just think of the person in their workplace, the, the normal Christian who Monday to Friday just live in their workplace and do their work, but they're different. They relate differently to their colleagues. They don't join in with the gossip or the slander. They don't join in the smutty jokes. They are full of integrity, and they're full of honesty, and they're full of truthfulness, and they're just being different. They're not out on the mission field, because work is their mission field. They're just living every day as a Christian, trying to make a difference for Jesus in this world. And let me say, they are the people, the Christians, that I respect the most. They might not preach a sermon. They might not write a book. They might not be a household name, and they might not have their name on iTunes. But they're just living each day because they love Jesus, trying to make a difference for Jesus in the world. And that's what Jesus is saying in this, these few verses. He says to his, his disciples, to his followers, to people who claim to love him, you know what, you can make a difference. Actually, you know, you should make a difference. Because that's the crazy message of the Sermon on the Mount. He said we are radically different. You know, verse 3, we're poor in spirit. That is, we, we come to God with empty hands. We mourn our sin, verse 4. We're meek, we're humble towards each other. We long for a better knowledge of God, verse 6. We, we, we show mercy in action. And verse 8, we're pure in heart. Our heart is undivided for God. We're peacemakers. We actively seek to make peace. And we're willing to be persecuted, verse 10. And that's the crazy thing, because you might think that, that if you're living a meek, merciful, pure-in-heart life, then the world will trample on you. And Jesus says, you know what? If you're poor in spirit, meek, merciful peacemakers, then actually you can make a difference. Little you. Not the super Christians, but little you. With your mundane lives, run-of-the-mill lives, you can make a difference for Jesus. I find that extraordinary. Jesus picks two ordinary day-to-day metaphors. He says salt and light. Look what he says in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Or more literally, you and you only are the salt of the earth. You and you only are the light of the world. It's that emphatic you. You, yes, you. One of six billion people, but, but you can make a difference. It's a singular you in verse 13 and verse 14. It's not the church is the salt of the earth and the church is the light of the world. It's, it's you individually. If you love Jesus, if you're living for Jesus, you will make a difference. Because Jesus keeps saying throughout the whole of the Bible that we're not called to retreat out of the world. He doesn't want us to, to gather in our holy huddles. He wants us to rub shoulders with the world and just live differently. 
Right, from the moment you wake up and you walk to the station and you get your coffee at the coffee shop and you walk into the office and you have your lunch and then you enjoy your leisure time and your family time just living differently. So let's look at them. Salt. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, verse 13. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Did you notice in verse 13 that according to Jesus, that's what we are. You are the salt of the earth. He doesn't just tell us what we're called to be. He doesn't just say, you must be the salt of the earth. He says, you are the salt of the earth. That's your identity. Let's unpack that metaphor. What, what is salt used for? Tell me. Call out to me. What, what is salt used for? Taste and, and preservative. That, that's the two main uses. Uh, salt is used, used for flavoring or as a preservative. And so Jesus could be saying to the disciples, you are the flavor or the taste of the world. You know, he could be saying, life without Jesus is tasteless. It's kind of insipid. And that's why people are running around this world trying to find purpose or meaning or identity in things apart from Jesus. But you Christians, you can point them to Jesus and show them what real life is all about. Give them taste of their tasteless lives. He could be saying that, I'm not persuaded that's really the root meaning. Because the first and primary use of salt in the Old Testament, in the the first century, was to use as a preservative. So salt was used to stop decay. Salt was used to prevent meat from decaying. So come back with me. First century, you walk into Jerusalem Woolworths, and uh, chicken is on special. It's uh, 9.99 for a chicken breast. That's a good deal. And so you buy 20 of them. And you've got your glad bags, and you wrap them in the glad bags and put them in the freezer. It's ridiculous, because in the first century, Jerusalem, there was no freezers. You didn't even have fridges. So how do you prevent meat from going off? I remember being on a, on a mission trip to India about, was it now, six years ago. I was really careful what I ate. You know, go vegetarian, that was, that was the top tip. But, you know, we were driven around by these lovely Indian people, and we stopped at this roadside cafe one day, and, and they brought out the chicken. And I'm thinking, I can't eat this. Uh, but then I saw them get the chicken out of the fridge. And I'm thinking, phew, that's okay, the chicken's fine, it's in the fridge. And then I looked more closely and discovered that the fridge wasn't plugged in at all. Because there's no electricity. They just had this fridge at the side of the road with the chicken in it. And I'm going, I'm not going to eat this, I can't eat this. Because that's what happens when you leave meat out of the fridge. It just goes off, it gets putrefied, it's just disgusting, it decays. And so what happened in the first century was that they would take their meat and they would cover it in salt. And they put salt all over it. And the salt would act, a bit like a refrigerator, it would stop the meat from decaying. Now do you understand what Jesus is saying about you if you're a Christian? Verse 13. You Christians are the salt of the earth. The earth is decaying, and you're here to stop the decay. Does that make sense? That you can, in some small way, 
help prevent the, the moral decay of this world. And of course that makes no sense unless you understand our world is decaying. Yeah, we're constantly told that things are getting better, you know, education, science, technology, psychology, the world's becoming a better place, but that's not true, is it? I think our world today, in the 21st century, is ruder, louder, uglier, rougher, more immoral than it was 100 years ago. Less decency, less politeness, more selfishness, more arrogance. Just think about the things that we think are normal. The, The softly pornographic adverts on TV and on billboards, they're just normal today. The normality of expletives, just everyday language today. The gossip, the hatred. Our values are declining, our standards are dropping. It's what Paul describes in Romans chapter 1 as the world becoming more and more wicked and envious and full of deceit and gossip and slander. And the extraordinary thing and the beautiful thing here is that Jesus says that you, if you're a Christian, you can prevent that decay. You are the salt of the earth. You, in your little small way, can make a difference. And I reckon that's one really good reason why we should not spend all our time sitting in these little holy huddles called church. Get out into the world. Live in the world. Get in there. Be different from the world. But seek to, to slow down that spread, sort of rub yourselves into the, the secularization of society. Do everything you can to prevent things getting worse. It's just beautiful that in my small way and your small way, you can have an influence for good in this world. And so when you see society getting worse and worse and worse, please don't just throw up your hands in sort of pious horror. You're supposed to say, how can I be salt here? What can I do? Let me say a couple of things. Jesus does not say in verse 13, you are the honey of the earth. That would be nice. You know, you can bring sweetness and toleration and just love. And the thing about salt is it, it's not pleasant. It sort of stings in a wound, but it does the job. It stops the decay. You're not called to be nice, but to be salt. He doesn't say in verse 13, this struck me, the church is the salt of the earth. You know, the institution is the salt of the earth. Of course, collectively, we, we should be that. As a body of believers, we should be different. And the church should prevent the decay here in Kirribilli. But Jesus does not command the institution to make these declarations about politics or ethics or morality. That's not the primary function of the church. We gather to worship God. We gather to sit under his word. We gather to encourage each other to preach the gospel, to equip us for works of service. We gather to build up the individuals so that you can be salt in the earth. Don't mishear me. The church must be clear. The church must speak out. But it's me and you individually as Christians who are called to be the salt of the earth. Let me give you some examples. Remember a guy called William Wilberforce, who was involved in the abolition of slave trade. Please don't think it was the, the church that did that. It, it was William Wilberforce and his friends who were so convicted about the horrors of slavery 
that they stood out and made the difference. You might have heard a guy called Richard Baxter. He's a Puritan preacher in Kidderminster. Uh, during the, his time that he was preaching, it was said that the town of Kidderminster, violence dropped and the, the number of alcoholics decreased in the town of Kidderminster. Now, why was that? It wasn't because his church was producing documents on alcoholism. Well, that's a good thing to do. It was because the individual Christians were living in Kidderminster, living different lives, speaking out, showing that their lives could be different. That's what caused the change. See, acts of parliament don't really change people's hearts. What changes people's hearts is when they come face to face with the truth of the gospel through you or through me and through the lives that we live. So come to your workplace. Come to your workplace tomorrow, midday. If you're here tonight and you love Jesus, if you're being meek in your workplace, you're showing kindness and you're seeking to make peace with your work colleagues, and if you're showing mercy and you don't gossip and you don't over everyone, you don't join in the smutty jokes. Well, often, my friends, you don't need to say a word, do you? Just your very presence in that place. You know, the, you like salt, that the smuttiness will stop, the slander will stop, and your presence can make a small bit of difference to make your workplace a bit less godless. Uh, the big ethical issue at the moment is the issue of euthanasia, and I would encourage you to read up on this and to know about it. Uh, our, our government, prompted by the Greens, are, are trying to debate uh, whether to legalize voluntary euthanasia. And according to the press and the public, we're told that, that 85% of us think that's a good idea, despite the fact that the question is deliberately vague and misleading. Now, what is going to stop that ethical decay? What's going to stop that ethical decay? It is right, it is proper, that the churches have a voice. Uh, it's right and it's proper that we actually make declarations. That's a good thing, but I'll tell you what will make a difference. It'll be you and me knowing the facts about euthanasia, getting our theology right about life and death. And once you've done that, in your workplace, at your universities, just talking to people at lunchtime or by the water cooler, as a topic comes up, you can have a voice and you can make a difference. Same with most ethical debates, whether it's late-term abortions or alcohol issues or asylum seekers. The gospel actually impacts every area of your life. The gospel isn't just about your salvation your relationship with Jesus must shape everything, your, your ethics, your politics, everything. And you are salt. And you're called to live differently. Speak differently, live differently. Let's take the issue of consumerism. Because our world is becoming obsessed with consumerism. It's a throwaway society. Now we are salt. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to be different. And that means that we do not rush after lots and lots of stuff to find our identity in. It means if we've got kids, our kids don't need to have everything. It means that you don't work ridiculously long hours just to keep up with the Joneses. As salt and light, 
we were seen to be happy and content and have purpose and have meaning, have security, and people notice. And your friends might change. Now, see how you can be salt? You can slow down the decay. But look at the warning in verse 13. He says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be trampled out, thrown out and trampled by men. So how can the, the salt lose its saltiness? I had to try and work it out. Apparently the only way that salt can lose saltiness is if you, if you mix it with enough of another substance. Mix enough sand with salt and salt is no longer effective. And so what Jesus is kind of saying here is, if you're a Christian, you can become so polluted by society and so adulterated by the world and so mixed up with the world and so part of the world, you know, so the way that you speak is no different from the world and the decisions you make is no different from the world and you've totally bought into the wisdom of the world and you're still trying to follow Jesus. And he says you've lost your saltiness. You can't be effective. You're utterly useless. I hope you're excited by this truth. Let me say that again. Little you, you can make a difference. Think about salt is one small bit of salt can have a massive impact, can't it? I think what Jesus is saying here is that you could be you could be one small voice in one massive corporation. But you can make a difference by the way that you live. And I find that liberating. I pray that God would stir up in this church more and more and more salty Christians as the world becomes more and more and more depraved and we're just living differently. That's the salt bit, preventing decay. That's the negative you want. The positive is the light bit. Salt prevents decay, uh, light promotes good. Being light means that you promote good, you promote beautiful things, you promote truth, you offer hope to this dark world. Instead of reading verses 14 to 16 again, let's just see them. See what Jesus says? Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Look at that again. You are the light of the world. When I first read this, I thought, no, no, Jesus is the light of the world, <laughs> not me. Uh, John chapter 8, Jesus, I am the light of the world. Not, not me. Jesus is the one who exposes the darkness of sin. Jesus is the one who brings light into this dark world. Jesus is the one who shows the, the, the truth and the goodness and the hope. But here's the extraordinary truth. 
If you are in Christ, if you belong to Jesus, if you've come to the cross and you, you trust in his death and his resurrection, if you've sheltered under his wing, if you've been clothed in his righteousness, then what he actually says is that you, disciples, are the light of the world. His light will shine through you. His light to this dark world will just radiate from you. But what's extraordinary is that is our identity. He doesn't just say, let your light shine. He doesn't say, go out, get out there and do lots of good things and strive for it and work hard to be light. He says, you are light. You are light. That's your identity. Is that reading from Ephesians 5? Uh, Paul says, you were once darkness, but now you are light. Not that you're just called to be light, but you are light. And when you've grasped that, it is totally liberating. Because being light to the world is just being who I am in Christ. Just being so caught up in Jesus and so content with him and so satisfied with him that his light just radiates from me. So what does light do? Light brings light to a darkness. Light illuminates the darkness. Light exposes the darkness. You ever been to the outback? The problem with darkness is that we don't get it because we live in industrialized cities where light's everywhere. But if you've been to the outback, if you've been camping in the outback, it is pitch black. You know, I remember camping there about five years ago. You can't even see your hand when it's like this. It is so dark. I remember trying to stagger to the toilet block in this campsite, and uh, I just couldn't see my way. Uh, But there was a light in another person's tent that kind of gave a bit of light so I could see the way. Now, have you got it? Jesus says, you, disciples, followers of Jesus, are the light of the world. That's your purpose, to bring light into this sinful world, to bring life to a lack of morality and to bring the light into a dark, suffering world. And what Jesus says to his disciples is that you can't hide it. Verse 14, a city on the hill cannot be hidden. You just can't hide it. Again, think first century. It wasn't industrial cities There'd be a single city up on a hill, and the light from that city is just radiated everywhere. You could see it from miles around. It just flooded out of it. And Jesus is saying, if you're in me, if you belong to me, it just should be so obvious. You can't hide it. As you hang out with people, your light will shine. What you think, what you say, what you do. You can't hide it, but neither should you try to hide it. Verse 15, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, because that's ridiculous. Can you imagine? You've gone to the effort of getting the oil. uh, You've gone to the effort of getting your wick. I mean, forget your electricity. We're talking about first century. You've got your oil, you've got your wick. You've lit your lamp, and suddenly this lamp is beginning to give light to this dark place. How stupid it is to go and get a big bowl and put the big bowl over the lamp. What was the point of lighting that lamp? And Jesus is kind of saying, how ridiculous it is that you are the light of the world. The love of Christ 
the truth of the gospel should radiate out from you. But you deliberately choose to try and conceal it. That's astonishing, isn't it? That we can sit in this church tonight and walk out of this door tonight and spend our whole week trying to conceal the fact that we belong to Jesus. So what did Jesus say? Verse 15, instead, they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone. It lights, radiates out. This is the key, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine. Just let it shine. Be who you are. Let the love of Christ radiate from you. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Does Jesus say, you know, let your light shine by making sure that you have a very slick and professional testimony? Let your light shine by inviting someone to a Simply Christianity course and letting somebody else tell them the gospel. Let your light shine by inviting someone to church and letting me or Mark or somebody else tell them the gospel. So I think we've got it all the wrong way around. We can speak in enlightened ways about Jesus. We can articulate the gospel. We can write books about the gospel. With our lips, we preach the gospel. But with our lives, we just don't live it. We think people will listen to our lips when our lives don't match up to what our lips say. Let me say very boldly (laughs) that people look at your lives as well as your lips. The first thing people see is your lives. And so what does Jesus say? says in the same way let your light shine before men that they may see your your good deeds that's that practical visible display of compassion of course good deeds includes talking about Jesus of course your good deeds must articulate the gospel in some way but good deeds are just what it says they're good works you know the way you treat people is different The way you plan your future is different. The way you spend your money is different. The way you love your family is different. Your attitude to work is different. Your attitude to the poor and the needy and the marginalized is different. They may see your good deeds. I know someone in this church who deliberately doesn't have a flatmate so that they can just give away one of their spare rooms to the person in need. Someone needs a bed to sleep? Sure, I've got a spare room. I know another person in this church who spends most of their Saturdays visiting sick and lonely people, not relatives, just those in need in our community. I take Christmas lunch. The opportunity we have as a church to provide food and fellowship to those who are alone at Christmas. That's a good deed, isn't it? Just two or three hours of your Christmas day, cooking, serving, enjoying conversations. Let your light shine. 
Whatever it is, driving somebody to hospital, taking people to the airport. But let me get this very clear. I'm not just talking about church. I'm not just talking about your good deeds that you do here with each other. That's good and that's right and that's proper. You must look after your family of believers. But what about your good deeds out there in the world? What about giving up some of your time to, to, to spend it in the prisons or in the orphanages or down at James Milson or in Greenway? Or what about just cooking a meal for a friend in need? And not a Christian friend, but a friend at work in need. It's like here at church, we're, we're really good at, at cooking meals for the mums of this church who have just had babies. What about cooking meals for the playtime mums who don't come to church? What about providing food for them for a month when they have a baby? That would speak volumes. That Our good deeds are shining a light of Jesus into this world. And then when we do that, my friends, what does Jesus say will happen? Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and they'll praise you. That's not what Jesus says. He says they will praise your father. He's not their father yet. He is your heavenly father because you belong to Jesus. He's not their father yet, but they will still praise him. They will say, hmm, that God is good. Thank you. hope you've got this. Your lives should be the first thing to speak into this dark world. Your lives should be the first thing to speak into this dark world. And it's a privilege. It's not a burden. It's a privilege that you are in Jesus. You are light. Just be who you are. Don't hide it. Don't conceal it. Don't try and be someone you're not. And the longer I've been a Christian, the more I realize that people do watch us very, very closely. They spot when our anger flares up. They spot when we're overambitious or overanxious and our light doesn't shine. And they spot when we put on our masks for our church friends and our non-church friends. And we're supposed to read this verse and say, wow, Jesus, what a blessing. What a privilege that we can be the light of the world, that we can be the salt of the earth, that we can bring glory to our heavenly Father. So what does Jesus say to you tonight? He says you can make a difference. You don't need to be the super Christian missionary as in Ethiopia or Nepal. You don't need to be Selena with lots of money or the person building the orphanages. You need to be you. You just need to be you. You need to be you who belongs to Jesus, who loves Jesus, just living to make a difference as salt and light in this world. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the blessing of being called the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Father, we praise you that you've called us to prevent the decay, to be different. You've called us to promote your truth and your goodness and your kindness and your compassion and your mercy. Please help us, Father, to let our light shine, to be that salt and to make a difference. In Jesus' name.